The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Clarity or prelude to chaos in the Big Ten East Saturday in Columbus? Is it time to tell your kids about Iowa going to the playoff? And what do you make of trash-talking billboards? This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, October 18th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Pete, you brought something to my attention early this morning via text that there was a, to use your word, a kerfuffle over some billboards in the Tuesday night action. We like to start the Wednesday podcast giving some of the Tuesday night games a little love. There was a complete, thorough, and utter beatdown in the port city of Mobile last night as South Alabama laid the wood to southern Mississippi. And after the game, Kane Womack took exception to, of all things, billboards on the highway. Tell me what you discovered uh, this morning about the billboards. Well, it was it was interesting because, first of all, South Alabama just thumped Southern Miss. You know, these are two two proud programs. Southern Miss has been good for, you know, a long time. They're not having a good season this year under Will Hall. It was a little jarring to see the tenor of that game. And uh, and obviously it, uh, it, it, it ended 55 to 3. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the billboards, um, Southern Miss, uh, put up in Mobile is. Wait, say that again, because Pat may, Pat McAfee makes fun of the way that I say what, because I say what instead of what. Um, so now I'm going to make fun of the way you say the port city in Alabama. Say that again. Mobile. Try again. More Beal, less Mo. Mobile, there you go. Okay, carry Mobile. on. Yeah, All right, carry like on. Like Bradley Beal, Mobile. Yes. All right. Uh, I appreciate the Southern education. Um, if you ever come here, I'll, I'll walk you through Worcester, Gloucester, and all of the all of the unpronounceable ports in my state. But Worcester, um, Worcester is a, is a tough one because it looks like Worcester. Yes, but it's Worcester. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, 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 I'll walk. Word. I'll walk you through. That Muscle Shoals is always welcome up here. No judgment. Um, <laughs> So a couple of the billboards that uh, that popped up, uh, I'm I'm looking at the Hattiesburg American all over this uh, major kerfuffle here. Um, so it says, "Welcome to Port City," which I assume is what they call Mobile down there. It's a beautiful yes. port city. I go every year for the Senior Bowl. Great oysters. Love the town. Um, and then it says, "Welcome to," I believe, it says, "Welcome to Hub City or Hub our city." city. Hub I think City, it says Hub. I think okay, Hub City, which I I would assume is what the folks in Hattiesburg call themselves. So they basically did a billboard play, and then in Mobile they put in University of Southern Mississippi, a major university experience at a cost comparable to your local university. So they're throwing some shade on city rights and pride, and then they're throwing some shade at the bursar's office for how much they're charging <laughs> at uh, at South Al. So um, again. Kane Womack, not happy about the billboard takeover. It was, uh, I read the article and as you have aptly put it, it's great when the coaches are wonderfully thin skinned. Oh, love it. And my initial reaction to this was eye roll. And I thought, oh, great. Not that you sent it. I thought it was cool. You sent it. I thought, here's another wonderfully thin skinned coach. I click on the article, read through it. Then I look at the billboards and I thought, you know, those billboards were disrespectful. They were, and they they weren't even really they weren't even really funny. They didn't seem playful. 
And and the last one about, hey, look, man, I mean, Southern Mississippi is a cool place. Uh, you know, I've been there. I, I'm not sure you need to be throwing shade from there, <laughs> from there at South Alabama or anywhere else, really, to be honest. And so it seemed petty. And I thought, yeah, okay. I, I can get where Kane was coming from on this. And then the best line was, though, probably he said, Kane Womack in the aftermath said, whoever the administrators were, who the twist on this is that Kane Womack is a Southern Mississippi alum. Correct. That whoever the administrator was who thought this was a good idea probably sounded good in a board meeting, but it'll get your ass kicked on the playground. And that's pretty much what happened. All the chef's kisses. All the chef's kisses. I believe his dad coached at Southern Miss for a long time under Jeff Bauer. Um, uh, his dad, Dave Womack, was a was a long time uh, old Southern hand. Created a lot of really uh, high end defenses down there um, through through his path. So the playground line, I was reading it, and I was like, okay, this is fun. The, the playground line, I was like, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's 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 pretty good. Can't you see him driving to work at like quarter to five, driving past one of those billboards, and just being like, those either that or he drove past him and said. There it is. Yep. There's what I can use. Probably this poor Southern Mississippi players, they show up in Mobile and they're out there for a football game and they're ready. They're fired up to play a football game. And then all of a sudden, here come the Jaguars and they're on some kind of weird crusade about a billboard. Yeah. Will Hall, poor Will Hall is fighting for his job. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to go just throw some shade at the best team in the league when you go to play there on a Tuesday and fire them all up. And then Rich Rod got another win, late field goal. They pull one, they pull one out. There was a good game between Liberty and MTSU, and that concludes our uh, Tuesday extravaganzas. Because I'm going Tuesdays to promise you, yeah. Well, we want to, yeah, we want. <laughs> don't put me in that category yet. I'm old, but not that old. Uh, shout out or, or reference to the great book from Mitch Album. I think is what you were going for yes. there. Tuesdays with Maury, um, but we always want to start with you want to do the inverted pyramid style of podcasting and start with the big games and go down. But when, when you have a billboard kerfuffle and somebody talking about kicking ass on the playground, I mean, you got to start there, right? Yes. Yes. Get your mind the headset, major Apple lights, the OC it's keep going, major, keep going, keep going, major. This is for the one on I five. This is for the one on (laughs) main street. I know, I know I promised that this was at the end, but I do have one more thing, and, and this is not me throwing shade. I don't know that you find better examples of how much coaches love this game than if you wander into a Tuesday night game and see the various faces that you've seen over the years in different places. Rich Rodriguez with that circuitous journey from nearly national championship at West Virginia to taking the Alabama job and changing his mind, going back, then going to Michigan, having it go sideways, then to Arizona. And next thing you know, you're coaching on a Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Alabama, in front of tens of people, it looked like. Maybe there was a better crowd than it looked. And also on the sidelines, I looked, I was like, hey, that's Rick Trickett. You know, a long-time offensive line guru. He's he's back there with Rich at Jacksonville. Major Apple White, head coach at Houston, rising star maybe. He's on a Tuesday night in the port city of Mobile, laying double nickels on somebody. It's uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's a tough business, man. It's a tough business. 
you hang around long enough that a lot of logos change, that the faces stay the same. So Rich Rodriguez in the postgame looked legitimately fired up after his field goal kicker went uh, derriere over T-Kittle and still made his 40-something-yard field goal at the end. He, he looked downright giddy. And look, that's as good of a win as you can have in that league. Western Kentucky's a really good team. Yeah. So um, Rich Rodriguez, coach a little ball. No one ever doubted that. Yeah, say what, say what you want about Rich Rod. He can coach. Oh, yeah. Always has been able to. Also has a punter that there was a still shot caught, uh, I think, after he got knocked rear end over tea kettle, uh, showing either the officials or someone on the other side why he thought they were number one. Yeah. <laughs> I think someone captioned it. That's just the Australian way to say hello. I think he's an <laughs> Australian lad. Bloke. Not lad. He's an Australian bloke who's who's over here punting for the Gamecocks. Let's get to the main event. College game day is going to Columbus. And I think the narrative has been, Pete, that we will get some clarity in the Big Ten East. Not sure if I'm buying that right now, because what it could be is setting up for the chaos of a three-way tie if all of the home teams win. Now, maybe they won't. So you will get some clarity in this sense. The loser is going to need some type of help to get back into both the Big Ten East race and also into the college football playoff picture. But... Yeah, the loser's going to have to beat Michigan, right? Is it that simple? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, pretty much. It's, it's pretty much that simple. If the three home teams win, you'll have a three-way tie, assuming no other losses to anyone else. Um, or, you know, or Michigan beats them both, and that's the end of that. You know, <laughs> which, uh, which was still football to play and perceptions to change over the next few weeks. If I had to wager right here on the Wednesday podcast on October 18th, and we were making that as one of our picks, I would say, going to be a great game Saturday. I'll let you know on Friday which way I'm leaning to pick in that game, and I think Michigan's going to beat both of them. But, you know, that's just me. Yeah. I and really just me right now, yes. too, by the way. Think perceptions might change. Yeah. I really want to see both of them in this in this game. I want to see Penn State's pass defense go up against a prolific pass offense. I think that's fair. You know, that's fair. Look, they're they're giving up like 120 yards a game. They're number one in the country with a bullet. They've got a great, they've got a great secondary. You know, can you stop Marvin Harrison Jr.? All right, now's your chance. Can you figure out a way to slow down Cade Stover, who's having a heck of a season? You know, can can your, you know, high-end corners like Kalen King, can Kalen King lock up Marvin Harrison Jr.? You know, so like there are, you know, there are, I think I'm bullish on Penn State talent wise right now. I think this is James Franklin's best team there. Um, but I also think this is Jim Harbaugh's best team. And it's Brian Day's most unique team in that if they are going to win this game, they're not going to win it 42-38. They are going to have to, they are going to have to clobber them defensively. And look, Ohio State has a top five defense in many categories. They've really, really played well. So um, it will be interesting to see Ryan Day's game management, knowing that they're you know they may not be able to lean on the offense like they like they have in the like they have in the past. When you talk to scouts about Ohio State, they bring up the year Lathan Ransom's having at safety. Uh, Sonny Styles might be the best young player in their entire program. The sophomore nickel who should be a freshman in college. He came early. Denzel Burke has reestablished himself as a high-end NFL draft prospect. Obviously, they have the two rush edges who are super talented, have had 
I would say inconsistent production, although Penn State fans would not say that about JT. I'm going to say Tui Mololau. I want to say, um, and this has been a difficult pronunciation for me because I want to say just sort of based on phonetics, Tui Mololau, but you sort yes. of just flow through all of it. It's Tui Mololau, I believe, yes. is the way he he prefers yes. it. Our JT, people who watch JT game day would be man. would be very impressed at how, and this is a compliment, how precise and anal in a good way Reese Davis is about pronouncing every single player's name right. And he is a go-to. Uh, this pronunciation game is new for me after being a print guy for so long. And Reese takes pride in getting all of these young men's name right in a in a very in a in a very impressive in a very impressive way. So you know, on Saturday morning at like six forty-five, when someone's like, "Hey, I got to talk about this game," literally, it's like Reese, and they just say the name, and Reese Reese says it back like just so he's like a phonetic uh, repeater, and uh, and then usually the person like says it twice. Um, it's. Uh, it is. It is quite an. It was quite an impressive trait. The pride Reese takes in that. Well, thank you. I, a quick story, and then I want to get back to JTT for a second. Something I did this morning in terms of watching a, a little video. There was a pronunciation situation a few years ago. You remember uh, Nick Shamanic, who played quarterback for Texas Tech? I do. Yeah. Okay. So early in the season, uh, they were in some noon windows. Had some uh, warm up shots of him, and I was pronouncing his name as Nick Shimanick. And Texas Tech got all bent out of shape. And they're saying, why is Reese saying the name like that? So I got the sort of snarky email from somebody out there. And I just went, copied and pasted uh, their pronunciation guide and sent it back and said, what is it that you would like me to say then? Because they had they had the first syllable, shim, all in capital letters, which means that's where you want the emphasis. And then the rest of it, uh, was in lowercase. They ev eventually fixed it. But that's one of the things when I sometimes I go to the COSIDA convention a, a few years ago and and speak at this and do uh, the COSIDA Academic All-America Hall of Fame. And if I'm speaking, I'm saying from my standpoint, you guys often ask me, what can you do to help me? And the number one thing you can do is have an accurate pronunciation guide. Now, I like to be able to look at the whole list and look at them phonetically and sort of have it in my head. I, I'm not 100% on this. I mean, there's somebody out there listening to this podcast right now that's going, I remember you mispronounced this guy's name. And you're right, I probably did. But the one thing they've also done that has been extraordinarily helpful is is to have the players or the SID better when the players do it, actually say their name. And then there's that little logo on their website. And you can click on the ear and hear them say it. And that's, that's extraordinarily helpful, but I still need the written guide for the things that you're talking about. Like maybe Saturday morning, there's a guy, I'm not quite sure. I want to be able to look at it fast. And anyway, I, I digress, but Tui Molowal, Pete, I, I commissioned Marissa Dowling to look at how often this year, and last year in the Penn State game, he lined up left and right, you know, meaning he was going against Olu Fashano or not. And then I went back this morning and looked at some tape from last year's game. And he he made a huge play, a deflection that led to an interception uh, early in the game from being lined up across from Fashanu. But the caveat is, is that Penn State was running a screen pass and Fashanu, that was not his assignment. He, he went out to get into the screen. JTT deflected, it led to the interception. The, the famous interception came from the other side, 
Um, and some of the pressures did too. He did he did make a tackle where he probably got loose in that game. Reece. What now? Didn't Olu get hurt in that game last year? He 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 might have. I don't. I think he, that. But I he don't was, think he, he was finished the game. Yeah, because I wrote the story about him coming back to Penn State, and I remember this is again from nine months ago. So, but I remember him having a pretty significant injury, missing a decent chunk of time, and I believe it occurred in that Ohio State game. I'm- yeah, it it very well could have, Pete. I was watching a cut up, and he was. Um, he was in for a, a good portion of the game. It seemed like it from the cutups and, and when those fell, a lot of the damage in terms of pressures and um and both sacks came when he was on the defensive left side, which is Penn State's offensive right. Um, he did have a couple of pressures from the other side too. He's moved around a good bit this year, and I said all that to say I'm really excited about that matchup. You know, sort of the game within the game. I just wonder how often we're going to see it. Although, you know, Jack Sawyer, he he moves around too. You know, he goes back and forth, and Knowles will move them back and forth. And I would, I'm really interested to see what the, you know, what the scheme and what the strategy will be Saturday for using those two guys to see if they can disrupt uh, Penn State's offense. So just to put a bow on that, he did have a season-ending injury in the Ohio State game last year. I don't know what juncture it happened, but when when JTT went off as much as any defensive player has gone off in a game last year, it might have been one of the defining defensive performances in the country last year, he was not going against Olu. So just to just to put a put a bow on that uh a right. little bit. He was on and that's why I was saying yes. a lot of it was even when he was lined up on the other side. Yes, cuz they had uh, a backup. I think the right tackle went to left. And then they had a yeah. backup at right and I think Jim Knowles did a good job of seeing that because the backup tackle you know, you talk about Olu Shano's top five pick. You talk about the mm-hmm. other tackles, good young player. That you know, that third tackle is probably not going to match up too well against a, a guy who's going to be a top fifteen pick. So that good, good coaching there. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm interested to see that for sure. Oh yeah. I'm interested to see if um, you know, interested is an overused word. I think a big part of the game will be that, and also whether Penn State can get the ball downfield. No matter how much James doesn't want to talk about it. I, I don't know that you can just win a high-level game like this without without any uh, or without a certain complement of of big plays, or at least making the other side believe that you can get them. And I think that's a, a really big deal on Saturday. Well, you think about Michigan last year, Ohio State. When I when I look back in that game, was it Colson Loveland down the middle that just sort of pierced yeah. the heart of their defense? Yeah, it was close. Col- like. You need a player or two like that if you're going to puncture the defense like Michigan did to Ohio State last year. Jim Knowles is a savvy coordinator. Nobody's going to know better and play in a way that that you can't beat them over the top. So I, I agree with you. So I think that is a, that is going to be a really interesting subplot here because you can you can stack the box and dare him. And uh, yeah, I don't know if Penn State's downfield passing game is going to, you know, is is of the caliber to to slice and dice like like Michigan did last year to really to really just, you know, puncture the uh p- puncture the wounds if you will. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What else? What else in this game are we not thinking of? Like, for instance, the numbers the numbers are okay, uh, you know, for Penn State's rushing offense. But for some reason, it, I mean, it just hasn't felt mm. quite as explosive as, as I thought it was going yeah. to be. Um, but, you know, I look at the numbers and I'm like, they're running the ball great. You know, I, I don't know what, what, maybe I just had it in my mind that they were going to be ripping off, you know, tons of 50 and 60 yard runs or some such thing. But how do you feel when you watch, when you watch their offense right now, what do you, what do you think about it? How, how efficient is it? How, how good is it going to be against an elite, a fairly elite defense in Ohio state? Yeah. And I think Ohio state has depth that defensive tackle, which again is a non-exciting thing to talk about, but I think they have really good players there. So I think they're best equipped of anyone that Penn State played to really put some resistance up front. And look, Penn State's 15th in the country. They have played, though, what I would call one really good defense, right, mm-hmm. in in Iowa. And after that, I would say their their run game has been very efficient, Reese. I would not say that it's been explosive. And I but, think if they're, if they're going to win on Saturday, they have to be more on the explosive side than the efficient side because I think Ohio State's push is going to negate some of those three, four yard grinded outs. I'm looking at numbers right now, Pete, and our senses were correct. Ohio State and Penn State are tied with four runs all season of longer than 20 yards. That's 112th in the country. Um, Runs of longer than 10 yards, Penn State has done a bit better than the Buckeyes. Ohio State only has 17 of those runs. That's that's 127th, tied for 127th. Only four teams in the country have fewer 10-yard runs than Ohio State. Uh, and we've wondered about their their offensive line play. You know, they've got the great receivers. But, you know, that's – um, they're, they're, we saw Travion Henderson get loose. We know that they have guys who are capable of if they get out of the gate, they can go. But getting them out of the gate before it slams shut has been problematic for the Buckeyes. And oh, and Penn State, same deal. They've got guys. They've got offensive linemen. You would think that would be able to do it. It just hasn't happened very often yet. Yeah, I'd expect Travion Henderson to play Reese, and that's just reading between the lines on Ryan Day's comments the last two weeks about how he would have been ready two weeks ago. Um, and I, quite frankly, they need him, and I think they know that they need him. Um I do wonder that the intriguing guy, so Draven Henderson is clearly their best back. There's no question about that. But obviously now they're dealing with injury to Mayan Williams. They're dealing with an injury to trip, Chip Trainum. And then Dallin Hayden has done nothing but produce for them. And he kind of disappeared after that great Maryland game last year in some big moments. Ryan had just said two weeks ago that they want to redshirt him. And then he went and uh, ran all over the Boilermakers in West Lafayette. So I'll be curious. He has a little bit more wiggle than those than those other two guys. I think Mayan Williams is a great roll back. It reminds me of, you know, when Bill Belichick would use LeGarrette Blount at the end of the fourth quarter in November and nobody wanted to tackle him. You know what I mean? Mayan's just one of those big, powerful rushers. He had 14 touchdowns last year. You know, it's a 
it's it, it what a what a great chess piece for an offensive coordinator. Um, again, not sure of his his status, and we'll be updating all that on on game day on Saturday morning. But I, I do think that this offensive line for Ohio State, you have the two tackles who went really high in the draft. You have one guard, Donovan Jackson, who's probably going to be a top forty player in the country like draft pick. But after that, there's, you know, Luke Whipler, the center left and was like a fifth round pick. They're, they're young and they're green and they're coming along and they have not had a, they have not had a test like this. So I think if there, to me, there's one matchup determines the game. It's how does Ohio state's line hold up against Penn state's really good front seven. And, and then there's the, and we'll talk a lot about this on game day and we'll talk about it. I'm sure we're going to now and Friday on the podcast when we make the picks the mental hurdle that Penn State has against this team. I mean, James Franklin's one and eight against uh, Ohio State. Well-documented struggles. They haven't won a road game like this against a top 10 team. Poor record against uh, top 10 teams overall. I do think it's fair to point out that Franklin accumulated some of those losses while building, you know, building his program which certainly he didn't arrive with it being in great shape no and also to be the numbers are the numbers but also to be totally fair about it you have to look back and say okay how many of those did you expect them to win that they didn't but the one the one critique that i believe is fair is their inability to finish them which Mm -hmm. they haven't they haven't been able to do they had uh they of course they did it in 16 when they won the big 10 but they had they a block punt in that game, right? Yeah. Uh, in a 16, a block field goal. And they returned it. Yeah. Block field goal returned for a touchdown. Yeah. And they got still got snubbed from the playoff, which is why Penn State's president pushed for an expanded playoff. Yeah. Maybe, until he had to so. vote for it. And then it was a new president. And they didn't because college football makes no sense. <laughs> Eric Barron. It's, it's right. But, you know, I will say this. They, they were rightly left out of the playoff that year. I agree. But yeah. they, nope. I mean, they lost 49 to 10 to Michigan that year. That's too big a loss, but at least in my judgment. But they had in 17, the year after that, Saquon housed the opening kickoff. I remember. They had a 15 point lead in the fourth quarter in the horseshoe and lost. The next year, they had a 12 point lead with eight minutes left in the game and lost. Ran the ball on a fourth and five on the final drive. You remember Chase Young crushed Miles Sanders, uh, you know, and Franklin and Trace McSorley sort of got lit up over the combination of the play call and the read uh, with, you know, that far to go. Um, 2019, even though they fell behind 21 nothing, I think we touched on this. Will Levis got him back in the game, got him to within four in the fourth quarter, couldn't get over the hump. And even last year, before JTT took over, they were up in the fourth quarter. They controlled that game. Yeah. And for three quarters of it. Right. And so they have, there is something to it, not just the raw record, but there is something to that mental hurdle of can they get over the hump against these guys, particularly in that stadium? And it'll be a, it'll be a huge measuring stick because I do think with some of the advantages they have in terms of, you know, veterans, you mentioned offensive line. Um, if not now, when? You know, I mean, it's kind of like if you're going to beat them in Columbus, this is a pretty good year to try to do it, even with uh, those ridiculously talented wide receivers and those ridiculously talented uh, rush guys. So uh, I think it's a, I think it's a really big moment for Penn State 
James Franklin. Don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying, well, you got to fire James Franklin if they don't. I'm not saying that. He's done a great job. I'm just saying this is a big, big moment for them to get over the hump. Well, what, what was his famous quote? The the year, uh, it, I think it was 17 when they lost that lead in State College. It was something like good to great. It was like great yeah. program, excellent pro. There was some differentiator that like keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And, and really, it honestly, like, much like Scott Frost branded his program perfectly by saying they were watching the same movie, like mm-hmm. James Franklin distilled his programs like upper middle class issues into a fortune cookie. Like they're in the cul-de-sac, but they're not in the penthouse and they need to win this game to get in the penthouse and then have a chance for when Michigan comes there for a, you know, for a bigger prize in a few weeks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Best in Game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We welcome in Ryan McGee now, and we're, we're going to talk other games too, but this one commands so much of the spotlight, particularly on this schedule. Ryan, we were just talking about the significance of elevating from good to great, to use James Franklin's phrase. But I would even make it a smaller step. I would say from really, really good or outstanding to excellent you know they're at they're near the top and have been for the last several years but there's another step to take for Penn State how do you view this opportunity and the stakes for Penn State and James Franklin and trying to make that next step I mean Ohio State's the roadblock I mean they they are you know I I knew that Penn State had had a hard time getting around Ohio State but I think it's what six years in a row they lost to them They've only beaten them five times this century. And, you know, and, and at least a couple of those were one point losses. Um, you know, most of those, a lot of those were, were, were single digit losses. Um, but it's, it, this is it. I mean, I mean, this is the hump they have not been able to get over with all due respect to everyone else. This is the game they haven't won. And so, James, to me, it kind of sums up the James Franklin experience. I like him a lot. I, I think sometimes, maybe like last week, he'll, He'll overstep and make some people uncomfortable with what he has to say. But the reality is this is kind of who they are. Uh, Quote from James, we have worked hard to do those things, but we are not an elite football team yet. Uh, As hard as we work to go from average to good and from good to great, that work it's going to take to get to an elite program. It's going to be just as hard the ground and the distance that we've already traveled. Um, then more later. So we are going to break through and become an elite program by doing all the, the little things. So 
it's it's telling that they're still sort of at that precipice right now. Nobody's going to argue with the the program James Franklin has, the talent. I think this is the most talent. Scouts think it's the most talent. Scouts think Penn State is more talent than Ohio State right now. That doesn't mean they're going to win, but scouts think that at this at this juncture. Um, when you look at the Olufoshanos and the Chop Robinsons and uh, – you you really go through with the with the pair of tailbacks and Drew Aller's potential. Um, this is this is Penn State's time. Um, but it but it's interesting. History uh seeps into Vegas because Ohio State's a four and a half point favorite. Uh location obviously has a lot to do with that. So I'm I'm fascinated. I think it's gonna be an awesome game. Yeah, me too. I I just but, but again, till Penn State gets over that hump, you, you can't consider them a national championship contender, but I'm with you. I think they're super talented. I, I, I again, I, I like James Franklin. I like the culture, you know, the buzzword. I like going there. Um, I like visiting with those guys. Um, I like sitting down and talking with him. I've liked talking to his players for the last 10 years, but I just, um, until they win that game, it, it's going to be impossible for us to all, you know, consider them being at the next level because they won't be there. Pete and I will, will pick the game on the Friday podcast. You will not. Are they going to win the game? I think they are. Um, I keep waiting on Ohio State to get going, like we all do, I think. Um, I, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best player in college football, but I don't think he's given an opportunity to to show the world that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe this is it. And, and, again, maybe this is me. I keep going back to the third Saturday in October, Reese, but maybe it's me experiencing that a year ago, which is, you know, if you really believe you can win the game, and I really believe Penn State believes they can win the game. There was when I when I go back to Knoxville a year ago, there was a difference when I walked around campus and when I talked to the team, and even when I talked to all the veteran guys who were came in town for the game, Al Wilson and Carl Pickens and all these guys, they believe they can win the game. That had not been the case for 10 years. And I believe um you know, what communication I've had with Penn State is you, you you guys, we've all been doing this a while. I we can tell when a coach is just telling us what we want to hear or what they think might make the show. But when a coach genuinely believes, I think you can tell a difference. And James Franklin always plays it very close to the vest. Uh, his tone doesn't change. You know, he's the guy that always Michigan, 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 Michigan. He's that guy, right? But mm -hmm. but I just sense um, in what little communication I've had with those guys that they genuinely believe. So, yeah, why not? We'll see on Friday what Pete and I think. The, the other side – of of this has been one of the other themes in the Big Ten has been all of a sudden this fear that Iowa is going to get in the playoff, you know, because <laughs> there's no one in in line to beat them. Now, I I said on the show Saturday, probably to the chagrin of some, that whoever comes out of the Big Ten West has zero chance of pulling that upset. I mean, Penn State's already trounced Iowa. I, I say zero. Look, we all know weird things happen in football. I just don't see it. However, as, as Iowa prepares to play Minnesota this week for Floyd of Rosedale, the one rivalry trophy, by the way, of the many that Minnesota plays for that P.J. Fleck has not won yet with the Gophers. But Iowa has five wins this year when they've been outgained, which is the most in the country. They've got three wins when they've gained fewer than 250 yards Nobody else in the country has more than one. And they're the only team in the last 20 years to be at least six and one through seven games and be outgained by 200 yards. And while we love to pile on poor old Brian Ferentz, they've lost their quarterback. They've lost their two best offensive threats and their two tight ends now with Eric All 
joining Luke Lachey on the injured list. And in a weird sort of way, I'm coming around on Iowa and and learning and and respecting what they've done and are doing. I've always respected Ference because Ference has done something that I think is one of the hardest things to do in coaching, and he's done it a couple of times at Iowa. When it starts going sideways or when it slips into a malaise to turn it back around and win something or contend for something again is extraordinarily difficult. And Kirk has done that a couple of times at Iowa in his career. I I made that analogy. On, I was a guest on SEC radio with Darinoka and Ian Fitzsimmons this morning. They were asking about Texas A&M. And that's what I think has happened to Jimbo Fisher. It's in a malaise. Can They're just chugging through quicksand. Getting it out of that is extraordinarily difficult. Iowa has done that in the past. That's where they are again offensively. Yet, they're in contention. And I said all that to give them their due for winning the games, but the Louisville people got all bent out of shape when I said last week about them, if you are not good enough, a loss will find you. If you are not good enough, Iowa, a loss will find you. They might win the West, but they're not getting out of this 11-1. I know you can look at the list and say, well, who? You know, Minnesota? Rutgers, Northwestern, at Nebraska on that final uh, final Friday, I believe they're playing this year. I, I don't know which one it'll be. It'll be one of them, Pete. It'll it'll be they're not getting out of this at eleven and one when they're gaining two hundred yards a game. Backup quarterback, both tight ends gone. I mean, th- I don't I don't see it. Yeah, I, I've you know I'm with you, Reese. On they've won eleven of thirteen football games. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, eleven of them, thirteen man. football games yeah. going back to last year. They uh, they obviously got shut out by Penn State this year, and then they lost to Nebraska last year on the uh, Thanksgiving the Thanksgiving Friday. But like, it's hard to win football games. It's hard to win football games in the state of Iowa, where uh, the three of us could have probably been second team all state, right? So it's hard to I'd be third. Okay. I'd be third or honorable <laughs> yeah. mention. Yeah. I would have been the second team beat writer on the high school paper. <laughs> but um, the, the 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 point is like. People are trying to wish away the Kirk Ferentz era. And look, it is not an aesthetic beauty. But I would tell you this. There are zero coaches in the country that I can think of who could have gone there and done a better job than he's done. Like, it's been a remarkable, remarkable job. And you may not like the jokes about the under, and you may not like what it looks like on Saturday. But, man, is that guy won, won relentlessly and... Pity the guy who has to go there and follow that lead. Now, again, you can go hire some air raid guru, and it might look prettier, but boy, he's he has been defiant to the formula, and the formula has worked. Yeah, and by the way, let me type into the computer here, and let's ask AI Brian Ferentz what he thinks about all this, because he's <laughs> that's only fooled me maybe three times this fall. But, 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 but to, to the point, sometimes you are uncomfortable with your identity. But your identity is who you are and, and has gotten you to where you are. You know, um, I, I think about schools like, I don't know, let's say Georgia Tech, uh, let's say Nebraska, let's say schools that maybe don't particularly, or they aren't as entertained as they want to be when they go to a game at noon at Grant Field on a Saturday and watch watch the Paul Johnson offense. And then they go to their dorm room that night and watch a 52 to 45 shutout. But they also won eight games and played on New Year's Day again. 
And so I think sometimes you have to appreciate what you have, because how many times have we seen, you know, unsettled, unhappy, whatever, we can do better than this. And the reality is, is that you don't, and maybe there's something to be said guys for if your offense is terrible, that, you know, it's not that hard to replace all these players that Reese is talking about, right? I mean, it's, you know, if, if you're missing a, a dynamic quarterback, it takes a lot to replace him. If you're missing two dynamic receivers, two dynamic tight ends, you're, it takes a lot to replace him. If you don't have anyone dynamic at all, then maybe it just makes it easy to uh, to plug and play when you have injuries because they just keep doing it. I feel bad for Iowa in this sense. This summer, the case for optimism at Iowa was based around 12 personnel, right? Brian Ferentz mm-hmm. was with the Patriots when they had Gronkowski and Hernandez, which was revolutionary scheme-wise in how to use and uh, how to use your tight ends. And so it was obviously they're going to run the ball a lot. It's Iowa, but they had two NFL draft pick weapons at tight end, which is rare. Most teams don't have that. So there's your identity. The quarterback was supposed to throw to him, and both of them are gone. The third string tight end has actually been out. He just came back to practice this week. So that's hard, man. Like that's like you know mid September ripping it up and starting over. So, um, you know, they've, but they keep finding a way, you know, I they, mean, I, we're, uh, we're talking about Georgia's issues, losing Brock Bowers. They're just going to roll in two more five-star tight ends with, right, uh, right. uh, with depth, uh, Delp. And, uh, I always get the name back. Is it, it's, it's lost and lucky, right? It's, uh, yes. it's, I always want to, I always want to juxtapose the first and last name, but he, lucky Lawson would be a cool name. Lucky, so. lucky, lucky Lawson would have definitely competed in the NASCAR Bush series like in 1986. <laughs> just, just so you know, yeah. Isn't there, isn't there a movie? Isn't there a movie? Um, that's something similar to that. Lucky Logan. All right. So, so yeah, Lucky I, Logan. Yeah. So that's, why, way, that's why I want to juxtapose the name, I think, because I my keep, son loves that movie. So. It's great. I keep I getting, seen it. Yeah. I keep getting ripped uh, by by some people on the social media because I keep making NASCAR uh, references on this podcast. I'm just going to keep doing it. L- Logan Lucky was shot at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, James Bond was running around during a race, like shooting that movie. So it's a great, it's a heist mm-hmm. movie shot at a racetrack. But yeah, Logan Lucky. Yeah, L- Lucky Logan. Logan Lucky. Yeah, I, I, I actually I actually accidentally called him that. I think on Marty McGee last week. So it is what it is. But yeah, it, it's it's tough for Iowa. I still think Iowa's probably going to come out of the West, and it's just going to get more difficult for them, big picture, when uh, when the four teams from the Pac-12 come in and the divisions go away. Because I would be, while I've got the utmost respect for the way Kirk has found a way to win games and stuck to the formula, as you've said, it would be disingenuous to suggest they haven't benefited from being in the Big Ten West and being on oh, that sure. side, just as Wisconsin has too. And you see Wisconsin now with Fickle, it, they're growing pains for sure, but they're they're getting there with looking at a little bit different way, a slightly different way, uh, you know, to approach offense without abandoning their running game, and that will probably serve them well. Can we get USC to play Iowa in a bowl oh, game this year? Yes. I just yes. think that would be this great, like, you get Ferentz to sit around and talk about like program building on special teams and on defense. And then you get Lincoln to get, I just think that's like the matchup that needs to happen. I think so too. Uh, McGee has brought up uh, at least three times, third Saturday in October. He's got an orange Jersey behind his head for those of you who are watching on YouTube. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you go, Ryan, you, uh, you and I are deeply familiar with this series and nobody ever wins just one 
in no. this series. You never no. win just one. Everybody no. goes on a tear. And, um, you know, the the 15-game tear that Alabama was on until last year might have been the longest. They usually run either four or like 10 or 11, somewhere in there before they get turned around and somebody tears down a goalpost. So what happens, but only you guys tear down the goalposts because there's not a game big enough for Alabama to do it. Um, so um, what happens What happens Saturday in Tuscaloosa there, Ryan? Uh, well, I will say this, um, and this has nothing to do with where we went to school or <laughs> that jersey actually is from that game in, uh, in 81. It wasn't, wasn't worn in the game, but it was, uh, it was worn on the sideline. But the equipment guy sent it to, but 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 it was important that Tennessee won that game a year ago, not just for Tennessee, but but Reese, you know this. I don't care which side of that you're on. It hurt your heart when everyone tried to say that game didn't matter anymore. Oh and yeah, the third Saturday in October didn't matter anymore, and, and and to the point that I was pleading with conference officials, like don't be prisoner of the moment here when schedule realignment happens within the conference and act like you can't play this game every year. The game has to be played every year, no matter what how how it's been. But yeah, when I was in school, Tennessee was in the middle of an eight year losing streak. I'm still angry at Sirhan Stacy, by the way. Um, and then and then, but then Peyton Manning showed up in a streaks. But to your point, mm-hmm. there's never just one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be tough this weekend because of where Tennessee is going. But I'll say this: when I was at the A and M game, the Tennessee Texas A M game last weekend, and in fact uh, on Friday. Uh, did an interview with kind of the three core members of the Tennessee defense. That defense is really good, yes, and people are. aren't really talking about it. And I think everybody thinks about air raid and hypo and whatever else. But what tennis, the way Tennessee beat A and M was running the football, and that you know they've got three guys on that team that have a chance, you know, to to certainly get into high triple digits and a couple of them in the, in, the, in the quadruple digits and rushing by the end of the year. So, and A and M was really really good at stopping the run, and Tennessee still ran it on them all day. So. Mm-hmm. I think it might end up being an old school third Saturday in October football game. I, I think we go into it talking about Milrow and go into it talking about, you know, obviously Tennessee's quarterback who can throw the ball over the mountains and all those things, but can't complete a pass downfield, by the way, Joe Milton. And so I think that it might end up being a grinder like we saw with AM and with Tennessee, you know, last weekend. So Tennessee has a chance. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and, and I wonder if to our point about the mentality of these things, Penn State, you know, can't get past Ohio State and Tennessee for 15 years couldn't get past Alabama and, and or, 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 or yeah, couldn't get about. And now you wonder if Alabama's got it in their head a little bit because every time they started to get momentum in that game a year ago, they lost it. And mm-hmm. a lot of those guys are back. So it will really be interesting to see. Uh, and, and it's, um, and I'm, I'm excited to go down there. We're going to do Marty McGee and SEC Nation down there on Saturday. And, I'm going to stick around for the game, and and I will be an impartial member of the media. Isn't a isn't it interesting the way the way these two teams have evolved? Yep. Uh, Tennessee's offensive line is playing better than Alabama's. Uh, both teams are among the national leaders in sacks, but Alabama has given up a boatload of sacks, and Tennessee's you know been pretty good. They've given up. Uh, they're you know they're like top thirty I think in the country, but for Alabama only USF, Old Dominion, and Colorado have allowed more sacks in Alabama. That's so insane. Ne- I know it's negative. Crazy. Yeah, negative plays are going to be a big deal in this game. But I think before the season you would have gone in and said, well, with Joe Milton and throwing the ball down the field and Squirrel White, Tennessee's still going to make big plays. And as you mentioned, they've had trouble doing so. Alabama 
you would say, well, they're going to run the ball. They're going to go behind this line, and that bevy is stable of running backs that they have, and they're going to run. They can't do it. At least they haven't done it up to this point consistently. But they but they have made shot plays, a bunch of them. So it's it's going to be a really interesting game in, in this. Uh, boy, I'm trying to get that out of my vernacular, Pete. Try to help me. Um, try, to, try to get really interesting game, a really interesting moment out of my uh, lexicon of go-to phrases. I want to eliminate that. You want some synonyms? You want intriguing, fascinating? I, uh, I don't need. I don't need that. Just I'll just. I'll just say this: a big determining factor in that game. Who can create negative plays against the other quarterback? Who can put them behind the chains? Who can come up with the sacks? And the statistics up to this point would indicate that Tennessee has a better shot at protecting its quarterback against that than Alabama, and both of them are quite adept at creating those types of negative plays. And to Ryan's point, which was an excellent one about running on Texas A&M, Texas A&M hadn't allowed a single guy to break 60 yards on them rushing all season. I mean, they had flat stoned the run, including against Alabama, and Tennessee ran it on. And, you know, Tennessee had three guys averaging over 60, and everybody was pretty productive on Saturday. But let me ask Ryan this because I haven't seen Tennessee a ton this year, and I don't think the world has, they haven't had like a big showcase game yet. Who are the guys on defense, Ryan, people need to watch in that Bama game on Saturday? Well, the, the the big name that everyone needs to remember is um and all all they call him is uh all they call him is Big O and it's Amari Thomas. And, and Amari Thomas is, is really the 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 key to that defense. And it's interesting too because you have so many guys on that defense who have been there four years. And there's a couple that have been there five years. And that's what I talked to Amari about on Friday, which was why stay. Because he could have gone to the league last year. There were a handful of those guys could have gone to the league last year. And what they wanted to do was finish the job. Keep in mind now, these are the COVID guys, right? These are the Jeremy Pruitt guys. You know, these are the guys that at one point, I mean, they won three games one year. And and they have they've stayed the course and they stayed there and they dug in their heels. And so so Mara Thomas is really the guy. He's the heart and soul of the group. And, um, and, you know, I tell you what's really interesting guys is, is I go back to, and I mean, no disrespect to, to anyone we covered, played with, went to school with, paid for tickets to watch back in the day. But what strikes me about when I talk to like an Amara Thomas is how smart and how deep and how multifaceted all these kids are, because you cannot play the game now the way you could have gotten away with it. 25 years ago, what we used to call caveman football, right? You can just run out there. If you're big and strong and fast, you can just knock the guy down and whatever. Deion De- Sanders, you know, I talked about this. There's a great passage in, in Jeff Perlman's book, uh, Boys Will Be Boys, about the Dallas Cowboys, about how when he went to the Cowboys, he slept in the back of the room. And when they woke him up, they said, don't you want to learn about the Tampa 2? He's like, you tell me who I'm covering, and I'll go cover that guy. <laughs> and then he went back to sleep. And you can't really do that anymore. And, and college football has become so – in depth and so complicated that it's my favorite part is is going in on a Friday and talking with these kids no matter what position they play because they're professional athletes they just are and they're also students and to do what they do on a daily basis and to ingest the schemes that they do and and the playbooks that they do and the film study that they do I just it just blows me away because there, there's no one left on these teams that's just running around out there knocking people down and you know ignoring what the playbook says. 
Ryan, what you said, and this is all I'm going to say about this because we're getting a little short in time, but you saying that they are professional athletes called to mind that the wisest thing that has been said recently about all of the turmoil in college football and the hearing that happened yesterday with uh, several people from Congress, the wisest statement that has been made came from Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, who pushed back on uh, people saying the sky is falling and this sport's going to end and Division two and three schools are going to scuttle their athletic programs. I'd be real careful about inviting Congress to micromanage your business, end quote, from Kennedy. There, there can't be a better quote about the future of the sport than that. But I digress. And um and I'll get us back to football. Hey, before we wrap up here, let's uh, let's touch briefly, Pete, on Utah and USC. SC coming off a disappointing performance. Utah, uh, they're sort of like West Coast Iowa. Uh, you know, they're not quite to that degree, <laughs> but they've scuffled on offense a little bit. But that defense has been terrific. I had a guy who's close to the program tell me, hey, you know, Morgan Scally's done a really good job, you know, against uh, against Lincoln Kennedy. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy, Lincoln Riley. I'm still thinking about the Washington trip last week against Lincoln Riley. Um, this is uh, this is sort of this is a do or die moment for USC in terms of the college football playoff race. They won't be out of the Pac-12 race, but they'll have a hard time making the playoff if they if they dump a second game. Yeah, and I think this is a huge gut check for Lincoln Riley's USC program in terms of toughness, in terms of culture. And in terms of line of scrimmage, they got manhandled on the offensive line at Notre Dame last week. They didn't get pushed around. They got manhandled by Notre Dame's defensive front. And I would just say pound for pound, I would expect Utah year over year to have a better defensive line than, than Notre Dame. Certainly a comparable one. So uh, Utah's won three straight games in this series. And uh, when you when you take a step back, it's almost like Lincoln Riley needs Morgan Scalley. Right. If you really want to like go back and look at like the, the the world and the dynamics of it all, he needs a guy on defense who can get a team to play above its talent level, or not even to its talent level, quite frankly, where they are at USC right now. And they need a culture of toughness on that side of the ball, which uh which which we haven't seen. And then on the offensive line, look, they that anytime you are going in and overhauling a rebuilding program, offensive line is the hardest part. You can't microwave an offensive line. You can't just take portal guys. I had a power five coach tell me this year. I will not take an offensive lineman from the portal. There's just not going to work. They're not going to work. You go, oh, yeah, he started here and he was here. No, like they're in there for a reason. If they were a value, that program would have found the money to to keep them. So I am I am fascinated by this game, and I am not optimistic about USC's chances in this game. Hey, wow. well, to, to, to the point that we were making earlier about Penn State and Ohio State and Tennessee and Alabama, you know, I went out to Utah in 2019. I think they were headed out to LA and, and the whole conversation that I had with Kyle Whittingham, who I've said, I'm, I'm crazy about that guy. He, he's the guy I'm taking in, in the bunkhouse stampede, the coaches, the, the coaches battle Royal. But what, what he said to me that day was, he said, once we beat them, we'll beat them a lot. And, and he knew that mentality was there. And then they went to the Coliseum and laid an egg like three days later, they won twice against these guys last year. And mm-hmm. so there is, you know, there is a mentality there of, you know, it it, it is completely flipped. And so I, I I like Utah's chances, especially catching USC when they're catching them mentally. And I would not have said that two years ago because of what we're talking about. And now they make you a believer. And so it's um they're strong where USC has issues. And uh, and I'm really anxious to watch that one. 
Yeah, I, I am too. I think that's going to be a fascinating game. Contrast in styles. Utah believes it's tougher. SC back against the wall, getting some criticism now. Uh, they're not happy in Southern California with you know what happened at Notre Dame rivalry game, sort of getting run basically by a team that was reeling. It's it has all the makings, and it's also the opportunity for Caleb Williams uh, to reassert himself as the prominent fixture in the Heisman Trophy race. Right now, that's Michael Penix. There will be other stages on other days, but if he is going to win the trophy back to back, it really needs to start this weekend against Utah by kind of carrying them past. Who he, by the way, gave a warrior like performance in both games. The one in Salt Lake City and in the Pac-12 championship game when he was hurt last year. I think it's I think it's going to be fascinating theater uh, on Saturday when those two play. Ryan, always great to talk to you, man. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Pete and I will make some picks on the Friday edition of the College Game Day podcast along with Stanford Steve. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll subscribe so you'll never miss an episode of the College Game Day podcast.